Hi everyone, welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Well, there's a gentleman who went to the doctor. He had a little simple procedure. He had to get done a little skin tag he had to have on his neck, had to have that removed. Thought it should just be a pretty easy in and out process. Didn't think much about it. Showed up at the doctor's office. Thought this won't be a problem until he met this drill sergeant of a nurse who said, down the hall, first door on the left, take off all your clothes. It's a, it's a skin tag. It's on my neck. It's, I, down the hall, first door on the left, take off all your clothes. He goes, man, man, you don't understand. Down the hall, first door on the left, take off all your clothes. So he goes down the hall, opens up the first door on the left. There's a guy sitting there in his boxer shorts. He says, man, that nurse is mean. The guy in the boxer shorts says, tell me about it. I'm the UPS guy. Horrible. I know it's a horrible, horrible joke. I got a question for you as we start the new year together. Who's in charge? Who's really in charge? Because there's a battle in all of us to be in charge. It's a battle that's been waged from the very beginning of time. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve. Back in the book of Genesis, we read that they were seduced by the lie that they could control their lives. The tempter said, why don't you make your own decisions? Why don't you take charge of your future? Why don't you call the shots in your life? And well, if you know the story, you know that they did. And the results were disastrous. And infected into the DNA of all of us now has been, this has been passed on to us. We all have this this desire for empire. We want to build our own kingdoms. There's a lot of people that want to help us. The bookshelves and the airwaves and the interwebs are full of people trying to give us advice on how to take control of our lives. We pay good money to go to conferences and seminars to learn how we can be in charge. And there's just one problem with all of that. Reality. Because whether you like it or not, you're not in control. Let me tell you something about me. Some of you know this about me already. Um, I am a recovering controlaholic. I like things to be done the way I want them to be done, when I want them to be done, and how I want them to be done. I know this about me. I, I know this about me. And my guess is the only difference between me and you is that I'm willing to admit it. <laughs> Because I think you're like that too. So I've read a book by one of my favorite theologians. If you haven't read this guy yet, you, I mean, you really need to check this guy's stuff out. He's the, one of the best theologians of our time. His name is Dr. Seuss. You heard of him? And the book is Yertle the Turtle. I don't know if you know the story about Yertle the Turtle or not, but Yertle was the king of the turtles. He was the king of his pond. And everything he could see, he was the king of, but he wasn't happy because he thought he should have a much bigger kingdom, that he should be in more control. He should have a more expansive rule. So Yertle the turtle came up with all these great, this great idea. He ordered all the, all the turtles in the pond, in his kingdom, in the pond, to stack themselves on top of each other. 
Because from a much higher vantage point, he could see further and convince himself that he was more powerful, that he was in charge of more things, that his kingdom was more expansive, that he had more control. Now, this obviously puts some great stress on the other turtles in the stack. And they begin to complain about how hard it was to be a turtle on the stack for the king. But Yertle the turtle had no use for complaining turtles. He was a snapping turtle. That's a deep cut. All right. He was, he was a dictator. He was autocratic. He made it very clear. This is my pond. This is my kingdom. This is my empire. I am in control. We'll come back to Yertle the turtle in just a second. Here's something I think you need to know. One of the things that is very difficult for Americans to do, one of the things that's hard for us to do accurately and well is to read the Bible. And here's why. The Bible was written primarily, the Bible was written primarily by and to people who knew that they were not in control. These were people who wrote and who the Bible was written to who were under power of an empire. They were not calling the shots. And so that's the tone over most of Scripture. But, but we're Americans. We serve no sovereign. We're proud of our history. We celebrate our independence. No one tells us what to do. It's our birthright to be in charge of our lives and our futures. That's why you go to Starbucks and you order a beverage and you have over 87,000 different ways to order your drink at Starbucks. One, one guy I heard say, he goes, I, it doesn't drink coffee. He goes, but I went to Starbucks and I noticed none of you drink coffee either. Because the time you put all the caramel and the chocolate and the spice and the whipped cream and the pumpkin spice and all that stuff, you're not drinking coffee, you're drinking pie. I thought that's a pretty good, pretty good look at it. 87,000 different combinations marketers are not fools they know how we're wired they know that have it your way applies to more in our lives than just fast food we have great motivation to establish order in our lives and we have great frustration when that order is not realized so here's what happens our desire for control as the end like that's our goal, to be in control. Our desire for control as the end can tempt us to choose some very unhealthy means to get there. This is why some of us are workaholics. Why sometimes you think so much about money. Because underneath all of that is the thought that if I can just get enough, then I'm in control of the future. And the market may go up, the market may go down, it won't bother me, it won't touch me, because I'll be in control. It's why we resort to such manipulative relational tactics and games in our marriages. I suspect there's at least one guy here today who has a bad temper. And you know it, but you don't do anything about it. Because you've learned that your family walks on eggshells around you, afraid that you might explode. And because of that, you get your way. It's not healthy, but it works. It's efficient. That's why some of you ladies 
nag, 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 nag. You know it irritates him. You know it does. You know it creates distance between the two of you. You know it does, but it works. You get your way. It's not healthy, but it's efficient. As a church leader, I've been literally around churches my whole life, growing up in a preacher's home, being a preacher. I have seen lots and lots and lots of church fights. Should be an oxymoron, but it's not. People in church squabble. That doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? So we, we learn how to baptize our, our, our fusses and make them sound holy. We pull big words out and say, well, this, this is what it's all about. And, but the reality is almost all church fights are about this one question. Who gets to have church the way they want to have church? Who gets to be in control? It's all about control. You see, control is an idol. An idol that demands our allegiance, but not only is it a false god, it's a puny god. Control-a-hall-ism is an addiction that will never deliver you the life that you think you want because life does not recognize your sovereignty. The future does not recognize fog as its master. I use that metaphor on purpose because it comes right out of the Bible. Listen to James, the brother of Jesus. He said this, look here. You who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to go to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. You see, life refuses to take orders from any of us. Every single day, our lives are significantly impacted by other people and events that we cannot control. So let's go back to Yertle the Turtle and his pond. Well, down there on the bottom of the stack is little Mac. And little Mac was very, very stressed with this new arrangement. And when he could not take it anymore... He burped, which threw the whole kingdom into disarray and caused Yertle the turtle to fall off of his throne and land in the mud in the pond. One commentator made this observation, you are one bird away from reality. <laughs> Here's what I mean. It is extraordinary, extraordinarily likely that someone who walks in these doors today on the first Sunday of 2024, that one of you who've walked in these doors, one of you who've tuned in watching this thing online, one year from today will find themselves in a ferocious battle with cancer. But you don't know it now. You don't see it coming. Someone here today is going to be without a job this time next year. The company's going to downsize. It won't be your fault but you can't stop it because you're not in control. Someone here today, a year from today, someone, a year from today, someone here is going to be holding a baby that right now you have no idea is on the way. You may find yourself a year from today planning a wedding for someone you haven't even met yet. You see, life refuses to be tamed. Much of the good in my life I did not orchestrate. 
And much of the bad in my life, I did not anticipate. I never saw it coming. This issue frustrated Solomon. In the Old Testament, we read about King Solomon. He was the wisest man who's ever lived other than Jesus, the richest man on the planet, the, 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 the most powerful man on earth. But Solomon could not control tomorrow. And it frustrated him. He makes this observation in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. He's frustrated. He's, he's irritated by it. He says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. And the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry. And the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance by being in the right place at the right time. You had no idea the Bible was so pessimistic, did you? But Solomon's frustrated. That's what he observes. That's what he's living. Understand this. The world is rigged to remind us that we are the creature, not the creator. So stop being mad. Stop expecting the universe to operate in a way that it was not designed to operate. You are the fog. And the fog does not call the shots because believe it or not, like it or not, God does not share his throne. You and I were born into someone else's kingdom. God doesn't get off of his throne and get onto a love seat so that there's room for you to sit next to him so you can help him run the universe. The psalmist says this, Psalm 103, the Lord has made the heavens his throne and from there he rules over everything. What that means is that you can go to the highest peak. You can go to the lowest depths. You can, you can travel to the farthest star. And you cannot find one square inch where God says, I wish I ruled that, because he already does. You can't go anywhere in this universe where God cannot say, right there, right there, where you are, I'm in charge. It takes the Bible four words to remind us of this. The first four words of the entire Bible, in the beginning, God. Four words, you've already learned two things. There's a God, and it's not you. And there's a universe, and it's not yours. God is never threatened. God is never surprised. God never wonders, what do I do next? Only God can make fixed plans because he alone is a holy, independent being. I'm not. I am affected by other people. I'm affected by events that I have nothing to do with. But God is beyond and outside all of that. So wisdom acknowledges that control belongs only and always to God. This is not passivity. This is a healthy acceptance of reality. That's why Paul in his letters would often say something like this, if God wills, if God wills, that's our way, without griping, that's our way of realizing we're going to have to adjust constantly to new and unanticipated possibilities in life. See, it's not control that we lose. It's the illusion that we were ever in control that we need to lose. And frankly, it is so freeing to no longer serve a false god and an illusion. There are some wonderful things that happen when you accept and surrender to the truth that you are not in control. Let me show you two. First one is this. You, if you understand you're not in control, you're going to love better. That's one of our things we say around here all the time, isn't it? 
We pray every week, God, teach us how to love better. And when I can surrender control, I'm from personal experience, I can tell you, when I surrender control, I, I'm better at this. I told you I'm a, a, control, a recovering controlaholic. And controlaholics live with one constant irritation. You know what that is? People. People. Other people are constantly frustrating our plans and our agendas and our preferences because they refuse to align themselves with our will. I have a kingdom. Let's call it the kingdom of Larry. You, you're all invited. You can live there. It's good. There's even a very simple flow chart in the kingdom of Larry. You want me to show it to you? Larry, everybody else. That's how it works. Here's Larry, everybody else. That's my kingdom. And now people would just live according to one basic rule of the kingdom of Larry, my life would be so much easier. But no one cooperates. No one. In my kingdom, I have many states. One of the states of my kingdom is the state of office. And when the state of office is running like I want, nobody calls me on the phone when I'm in the middle of something else. Nobody knocks on the door and asks for time. I don't get angry emails. What does this mean? It means that all is good and all is right in the state of office in the kingdom of Larry. Then I go to another important state of the kingdom of Larry, the, the state of dining out. When I arrive at a restaurant, I am immediately seated in a quiet corner with no other customers around. And even though I have a special order, my food comes promptly and just like I wanted it. And it's amazing. And the server constantly refills my glass of sweet tea. And no one around me is loud or obnoxious. What does this mean? This means that all is well and good in the state of dining out in the kingdom of Larry. Then I go to the, to the most important state in the kingdom of Larry, the state of home. And I walk in the door. And I notice that the television has already been turned on to the big game. There's a fresh cold beverage waiting for me beside my spot on the couch next to the remote. The dog leaves me alone. And as I sit down, I hear a voice from the kitchen. Honey, I'm making you a snack and then I'm going to come and rub your shoulders. What does this mean? This means I've walked into the wrong house. <laughs> you see, the truth is, my states are in rebellion. Remember this. As long as you make control your goal, other people are always going to be the problem. If your goal is to be in control, then people are always going to be the problem. Let's, let's just be honest. Show of hands. How many of us right now, there is somebody in our lives that we love but they are frustrating us because they will not let us change them. Exactly. But what if it was God's, God's job to change them and our job to love them? So here's the deal. If other people are always putting you in the wrong mood, then maybe you're putting Jesus in the wrong place. Get off the throne. Get back to your role as servant because when you give up control, you start to love better. But I've also noticed this, and this almost seems antithetical to what I'm saying, but when you give up control, you start to live bolder. You see, people who worship the false God of control are seeking security. It's amazing how many people have made safety 
their ultimate goal. As if the goal of life is to get to the end and say, hey, I died safely. But can I tell you, at your funeral, no one is going to praise you for your cautiousness. I've been to hundreds of funerals. You have too. And not one time, not one time have I ever heard or said, you know what I really admired about them? They never took a risk. They never left their comfort zone. They stayed as safe as they possibly could. Nobody at your funeral is going to say that you risked too much, that you sacrificed too much, that you gave too much to honor God and to serve and love people. Because we weren't meant to live our lives under the tyranny of timidity. Because we know who's in control. God is control. So we don't have to be cautious. We can be courageous. The last verse of the book of Acts describes Paul. He's now an old man. He's been in and out of prison a bunch of times, in and out of danger. He's finding himself under house arrest. Once again, he's, he's done for. This is, this is kind of the end. And in Acts 28, it says this about Paul, that he was boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's arrested. He has no control over his future, but he knows who his king is. He knows who his Lord is. And so he is still bold. He is still brave. He's still out there doing what's right. See, that's what happens when you believe that God is over everything. You don't think anything can take you under. Then you can do the right thing without having to worry about controlling the outcome. It becomes liberating to learn to live your life by your convictions instead of fears. So let me state it again. It is not control that we lose. It is the illusion that we were ever in control that we need to lose. I'm going to ask our communion team to go ahead and take their places, get ready to service. And while they're doing that, I'm going to ask you, to, as you sit, just to bow your heads for a second. I want to pray for you. But I'm going to ask you today, I'm going to ask you to start the prayer. And then I'm going to finish it. So as you sit, I want you to pray silently. And there, I just want you to think for, for just a minute. There are probably dozens of things in your life right now that are out of control. So just pick one. Just pick one right now, and as you begin the time of prayer, you just release that to the Lord right now. You start the prayer, I'll finish it. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would refill us, refuel us with courage, boldness, peace, and assurance. Not because we know what's going to happen tomorrow, but because we know Jesus. And we pray this today in his name. Amen.